no chance. What's up, everybody? Episode 43 of the No Chance Podcast. As always, your hosts, Ryan and Nate. Look, before we get into any sort of shout outs, well, I mean, thank you guys for listening. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Um, 43 episodes. It's a major achievement for the both of us. It's a 43 is actually, I'm just going to try to relate it to something. Go ahead. 43 is, oh, it's the number of MTV on any normal cable television like network og comcast og comcast <laughs> yeah uh so there we go we'll try to do that every episode i want to see if i can relate every number to something significant in our lives um look before we get into uh this week's topic i want to give um just our condolences to the god and goddess of of literally culture in general right uh, and yeah. uh, rest in peace to the man anthony bourdain personally I've used him to, you know, sort of fund or every vacation I've ever been on in regards to like what is there to do, uh, just getting myself more in tune. What is it like culinarily or what's culinarily, is, that, is that a yeah, word? That's a, good, that's a yeah, word. Yeah. Um, understanding the food of different cultures. I think that's his biggest impact on on my life. What about you? Because I know you're you're a super stan Dude. of AB. So yeah. like I. I remember when his show first aired on the Travel Channel. Wait, which one? Um, fucking No Reservations. Okay, okay. Uh, like the OG. Uh, he also had a show on the Food Network, Food Network by the way. Yeah. Um, but I remember watching him as a kid like with, oh, with my parents because my parents like to eat and travel and whatnot. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm like a really big like Anthony Bourdain stan. And um, I don't know. The big impact for me was that he just showed like different cultures and kind of introduce the world to these cultures and showing other people that, you know, even though you live all the way across the world, you're not so different from those people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like really inspiring. And I feel like that's what streetwear kind of does too. Yeah. And that sort of aspect, you know, it connects people in a way that you wouldn't normally expect. Yeah. Because I mean, to most people, what they eat on a day-to-day basis for them is just it's it's the norm yeah but to an outsider somebody who's interested interested in understanding people in general yeah they're gonna ask you oh, why do you like that even if it's like some bland spaghetti it's like yeah. why do you like that you know yeah. what i mean like what is it about that that reminds you of home you know stuff like that and yeah. and with with anthony bourdain i think well my favorite uh programs was um the layover Those are super sick because, you know, when you're, uh, well, obviously that's his job, but for a lot of people, they don't have the time to spend weeks on end in a city or in a country, right? So the layover gives you a good glimpse into what it's like to visit a city and enjoy it for, what is it, 24 to 48 hours sometimes. And I think that's a, that was an amazing concept. Yeah. I think in San Francisco, the one that he did uh, in San Francisco, that's where I literally I learned about all the spots that I go to on like a normal basis anyway. You oh, know? yeah, for sure. Um, just real quick. I just I don't know. I think he did a really good job of like connecting the, connecting the dots. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, 
similar to kind of like what we try to do, you know, um, obviously like food is universal mm -hmm. and I think clothing in that. Regard oh yeah. Is like the same, you know? Yeah. I would say yeah. clothing is, is definitely uni universal because like we sort of, we touch on every episode is everybody has a story in regards to their favorite shoe or their favorite t-shirt or what they did to get those specific items. So when it really comes down to it and you really ask somebody, like even if they don't care too much or pay attention to what they wear, there's something that they can talk about in regards to what they have on. Even exactly. if it's like, oh, I don't like these shoes, they're uncomfortable. Oh, last year I had these shoes. Like, it, it, there's a story and a context that seems to develop anytime you talk to somebody about food, clothing, um, without it being as polarizing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like when you when you go a little bit deeper and you start talking politics and religion and, and, and all that other stuff, you, you start to form like sort of factions and like people choose this side or this side. But with with clothing, I mean, the biggest faction you can get is like, I like Nike and you like Adidas. Like, let's yeah. argue about it. But yeah. outside of that, you can really just relate on like a more personal level. Yeah. So I think for me, that's where Anthony Bourdain really brought, you know, just that an understanding that I didn't have before, yeah. you know what I mean? Which yeah. I think is really, really cool. So obviously another, I mean, man, it just seems like the past week or past month or so, there's just been so many like crazy tragedies that, that just continue to happen. It's just like a super, super fucked up time. But another one that, uh, another person perhaps um actually also passed away so rest in peace to the legend kate spade now i don't have any formal knowledge of kate's career in regards to you know where she came from what she did i know that she was a like a fashion accessories uh editor within a magazine prior to becoming who she is yeah. who she's known for for owning probably one of the biggest um um i wouldn't even, you wouldn't even call it like a an accessory or, or, a, or a bag company anymore because they do so much more than that yeah it's a kind of like a full-fledged um label yeah label, yeah. Like. yeah so uh kate spade obviously passed away uh fairly recently as well um but i think what she also brought to the table and something that we can speak on for the theme of this episode is just the the sort of sensibilities that people seem to overlook when it comes to fashion and clothing um for her if if you guys are pretty if anybody's familiar with what kate spade uh has made it's the way that she made bags which in the in the mid i was gonna say 1900s <laughs> but 1990s uh so literally when i was still a child um a lot of what she made was was, was kind of clean um i guess the only thing that was present at that time are like big name brands right gucci louis um fendi prada whatever like the, some of the if you think of sex in the city those brands were present around that time yeah um probably the most uh, prominent names but there was never that 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 middle ground for the person that wanted to look like the people on madison avenue but didn't have the money to afford that stuff. Yeah. And I think what she's very famously known for is filling that void of, you don't got to spend $2,000 on a bag to look like you 
you know, work on Madison Avenue, but you spend $400 and feel just as good about yourself. And this is what you get. Yeah, I think she's just kind of like a product of that time, you mm-hmm. know, the mid 1990s um, going into the 2000s, you know. Uh, of course, there was always luxury fashion, like you said, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was that's been around for, you know, over a hundred years in some cases. But um, yeah, I think she was smart in that she saw that sort of like void or that sort of like yeah. gap in the market, and she kind of not exploited it, but just kind of, you know, realized that there were there was some sort of like, you know, area that needed to be filled. Yeah, um, because. And that kind of goes into what we'll be talking about later, like you said. Um, there was this kind of separation of, you know, the kind of like if you want to divide it up into classes, you know, if you want to do that, the people who, like you said, bought Gucci, Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. and then the people who, you know, bought whatever else. They Aspire to. Yeah, exactly. Aspire to be that eventually. person. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then I, I think a thing that they both relate on her and Anthony Bourdain and something that that we're starting to understand as we grow older is that through education, there's this gray area that a lot of people don't know about, which is this affordable luxury, right? Yeah. It's it's having what is ideal or top of the mountain type stuff, but getting it in a way that you can afford. So with Anthony Bourdain, a lot of those came down to like some of the food spots that we go to. They might they may not be five star or Michelin rated, but there's some of the best foods that we've ever had for like yeah. less than ten dollars. You know what yeah. I mean? So Kate Spade did that too. Yeah, and I think that's like why these like why these two people that we're talking about are so influential because they kind of open people's eyes to the fact that you know, there's so much more out there than just A and B. Yeah. There's so much more in between that, that, you know, you can, you can kind of go after. You know yeah. I mean? It's like the difference between like, they, it wasn't like you said, A and B McDonald's and whatever a five-star restaurant is. Yeah. Like there's things in the middle, but just with a little bit of patience and, and actually talking to people. Yeah. Cause a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of what we learn is through word of mouth, like with these yeah. restaurants, with, with clothing companies that, I mean, that, that I've learned, I've probably picked up maybe like a handful just from you alone in regards to shit to look at. And so I'm like, Oh cool. Like I would have never known if I didn't talk to somebody that was already interested in it. Yeah. And I think that's why, and I think that just goes for people in general, the people that are the most recognizable or the people that are, are at the top of our list sometimes are the people that are the most influential in that sense of like putting you on to stuff, right? Yeah, like I said, like, you know, of course, like Anthony Bourdain, even he himself said that he was never like the greatest chef. Yeah. He's a great writer. He's like a great television personality. But like, I think what he really excelled at was storytelling and kind of bridging that gap, kind of, like you said, putting people on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in in the fashion world, I know that she was one of the first people to sort of do that, yeah. which was to to really make make a brand that didn't feel intimidating. Yeah. And you, you obviously know walking into, um, you know, a, a higher fashion house like a Gucci or Louis, you get the looks. You have the security guard. You can't touch anything. It's it's everything's in a glass case. And yeah. You do feel that like the brand is bigger than yourself, but to, to create something where you know, your, her items didn't feel as if you had to like, look like a certain person or you didn't have to be making a certain amount of money. Anybody can wear her stuff. You yeah. Know? Like we talked about, like 
it was very democratic in that aspect. Yeah. Like anyone could be a part of it. Like you said, you didn't have to make X amount of money to, you know, I mean, obviously like you do, but yeah. like that's not the, you know, that's not what they want their image to be, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if you really think about it, that a $400 bag fits in the range of like a, like a median income family household. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're not going to buy it right off the bat, but taking some saving, which as most people should be doing when purchasing their super expensive shit, um, I think it fits and I think it makes sense. And I think that's why um, her brand was so impactful amongst so many people is because anybody can afford it, but people also felt a certain way after purchasing it. Yeah. I personally, and I'm going to stick with the same energy, I didn't re- really like Kate Spade bags. Per- well, I mean, when it came for... Like for yourself? Not for myself. <laughs> when it came for my relatives or significant others to purchase them, I would always say, like, you know, like, there's other brands that you could look at, obviously playing the whole, like, educating game. Um, but that was... But in her time, that's all that there was, right? Like, you couldn't, you couldn't offer anything else because Kate Spade was like the only real median there, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that, uh, I mean, shout out to both of them. Um, big players in the game just lost too soon. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, it's, uh, let's switch gears real quick and get into uh, the topic of the day because it's not often that you have people that are really important in streetwear sort of say outlandish things. And, and this isn't necessarily outlandish, but it's more so one of those things that really it puts our podcast into perspective because we can talk all day and all night about what streetwear is but to hear somebody from the streetwear game that's been in it for who knows how long being connected to big reputable names to say something that literally summarizes our entire podcast is pretty amazing so uh samuel ross the uh, creator of a cold wall probably when they come about within like the past year or so past like past two three years um i would i'm gonna uh i I would say he's really only significant or the uh, the eyes have been on him a lot more lately because of his connection to virgil abloh i believe he worked under off-white um and those guys fairly uh within the past two years so obviously a lot of those aspiring designers come from existing fashion houses where they learn the ropes right like that that's sort of typical yeah um when you be when you try to create your own thing you you have to learn uh fucking drawing manufacturing all that you know you have to be knowledgeable in that shit yeah for sure um yeah so why don't we get into like what exactly yeah like he said okay so um in an article uh just like a a sort of base level article with samuel um it's paris fashion week over there so uh, there's a lot of coverage on paris fashion week right now um he said streetwear used to be a class thing um it's a term that defined a separation now just off of that alone it caught my eye when it said it used to be a class thing because you don't necessarily think of of you think of a division when you hear streetwear right yeah. you, you think you think lower level kids, you know, kids that don't really know what they're doing. And then you think high fashion. It's almost like I think the word streetwear, I would say it derives from the the term street fashion is probably what people in those higher level things sort of gave it to um, the lesser lesser ones. But 
I mean, what do you think right off the bat is your sort of first impression? I mean, obviously, we can we can both agree that it it, it is something bold to say, but what do you what do you think just off, based off of what he said? I mean, I I think I I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, like we just talked about with the whole Kate Spade thing, I think back during that time there was sort of that separation that div- that division of this is high end and everything that's under that is literally under that is lesser than you know the Gucci's the Louis Vuitton's the whatever you know yeah yeah and I think more so now it, it definitely makes sense and um there was that huge division it, it's crazy because I mean we talk about it all the time imitation is the biggest form of flattery so when you see somebody I mean you see the huffs the supremes whatever they're they're doing they're, that was really awkward it was like a um like a police officer yelling at somebody down the street i you know uh, super off topic i feel like if you were to be chased by a car by a police car and you're in a you're in a car yourself in downtown san francisco there's no way in hell you're gonna get out but if you're on foot man it's 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 so easy to to escape from the cops, especially in downtown San Francisco. I feel like there's so many nooks and crannies where you can sort of get away, I, don't you? Yeah. You think? What do you think? Do you think you would have good odds of like escaping the cops? If I was on foot, yeah, I'm gone. Oh, for sure. Like, I always think about this. Like, if I was like, you know how when when cops sort of stop you, they like sit you down and whatever, and they just like, it's almost like they're not like apprehending you, but they're like arresting you or just like. They just have you. Yeah, it's one of those. This is one of those situations, yeah. right? And um, I just feel like if I had that, that maybe like foot of space, I could totally you get away. Because at the at the at the end of the day, if I'm if I get caught, I'm just getting suplexed to the ground. It's gonna hurt a lot, but at least I tried, you know. Yeah, but then you go to jail for longer. No, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't do. think so. Yeah, you do. You, whatever you're being okay, accused, so you're saying resisting arrest doesn't doesn't exist. It's not necessarily resisting. You can make up an excuse for it. You could say like there were bees chasing me. Like there, there's there's something that you can justify while you were doing it, or just don't get caught. Don't get caught to it's begin true. with. It's very true. Or just run faster. But I, I, oh my god, like I feel like I can do it. Like I feel like I can do it. Especially, but I would have to. I would have to to judge the the officer. Yeah, same. Pudgier, larger, whatever. He's probably gonna be winded after a couple oh, of blocks. I'm yeah. gone. I'm gone. Yeah. I'm running straight to Bart. I'm a, I'm a listening for the Bart train. Run downstairs and just jump in the jump in the subway, and I'm good. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it sometimes. Um, okay, back on the topic. Um, uh, so so basically, this idea of division, right, is 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 sort of what he's he's speaking of, and when we talk about like some of the brands that have always imitated the larger fashion houses, they, in, they almost created that division. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, at the end of the day, we're, we're all making t-shirts. We're all making clothing, yes. right? Whether it's in a fashionable store or sold online, obviously when Schreuer first started, it was very um, brick and mortar um, at the time. Word of mouth, yeah. um, grassroots. Grassroots. So the the similar the similarities are there. We're selling in a store. We're selling clothing. You guys are selling clothing. You may be wearing you you may be pricing it up, you know, five times more. But at the end of the day, we can talk about clothing. So um, it's almost as if they create we created that division to yeah, begin it's with. It's a very us versus them mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that's just 
natural. Yeah. Like, for instance, if you have a friend and they start hating on you, yeah, then, you know, I mean, most people's natural reaction is to be like, all right, like that guy doesn't fuck with me. I don't mm-hmm. fuck with him either. Yeah. So it's, you know, you can kind of look at it through the same lens in terms of fashion and streetwear. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the luxury high-end designers and people who were part of that crowd didn't necessarily think streetwear was fashion. It was just, it was clothing. Yeah. Fashion took on a totally different definition at that time. Um, And then the same goes for streetwear. Streetwear, you know, didn't consider fashion as, as it was at that time luxury. It didn't consider it of, it didn't consider it valuable at all. You know, like, why would I pay $500 for this, $1,000 for this when I can make it myself? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like that division. But do you, do you see how a lot of these streetwear brands, they start off with that mentality of like, okay, that bag's $500. Like, no way I can make a bag that's just as cool, price it for $100 and people will buy the shit out of it. But when you follow the trajectory of a lot of these brands, some of your favorite brands, you see their their mark, their price marks start to go up, right? Yeah. You see them start to use more premium materials. You see them start to be listed in a lot more retailers. And then you see that price almost match the price that they were just ridiculing back in the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just off of that alone, I think it's it's a learning process to understand like, okay, now I get why that shit was $500. Now I know why I'm pricing my stuff at $500 yeah. because I'm more knowledgeable about the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. Also, I think that's just that's just general business practice. You yeah. Know? Um, of course, you know, like if you if you want to do like better shit, you got to, you know, cough up the dough. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, your image or whatever is, you know, you're going against your own image or your own values. I think that's just people wanting to put out a good product. Um, because like, okay, a lower price point doesn't mean that it has to be shitty. A that's low true. Price point, a high price point doesn't always mean that's it's going to be the greatest. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. You look at uh, old Kanye West tour merch. <laughs> Gildan. Gildans. <laughs> but I think, I mean, it's always been a little bit confusing for me because, I mean, I've never... I'm obviously not from a background where I've owned a retail business, nor did I ever own a clothing brand. So I wouldn't know 100% on uh, on how that works. But I know just watching interviews and listening to people speak. And, and a good example of this is uh, Steve Buscemi. He owns that. Uh, is this Steve Buscemi? He owns that, that uh, the, the shoe company, Buscemi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the really ridiculously expensive shoes, right? Yeah. But um, does it was like, exist? yeah, it does. It's like a combination of, I want to pronounce this correct correctly, um, Bottega, yes. v- Veneta. Yes. Okay, that sort of like uh, luxury high top leather, Italian leather shindig, whatever it is. Yeah. Combined with the same similarities of like a like an Air Force, like, an Air Force one, one. like a Jordan, whatever, yeah, that's yeah. sort of like sleek sportswear basketball shoe silhouette. So this guy combines the two, um, adds the premium materials right off the bat, sells the shoes for, fuck, like $800. Jeez, I did not know they went for that much. They go for a lot. 
Like, do they, what do they even sell those still? Do I think even, like, I think they sell them. Or? I don't know if they sell them at like our local Nordstroms or stuff like that. I think they sell them at probably like Premier boutiques. I would assume because only a specific type of customer is actually gonna go out and buy those. Yeah. Um, but after and it was through um, I think it was through a business of hype interview. Um, with him, or maybe it wasn't, I forget, it was an interview in general, um, but he sort of talks about that process because obviously there's a lot of people out there that when they see an $800 shoe, they're gonna be like, why the fuck is it $800? Like, I would never pay for that. But if they really if they really listen to the, the process in, in going, to, uh, going to Italy, finding the finest leathers, finding the best cobblers, finding the best, the best of the best to create one shoe, one pair of shoes, yeah. like a lot of time and effort and, um, and, and quality is put into that. So almost the same way that people sort of talk about the money you put into the car is exactly what you're going to get out of it. Oh yeah, for sure. So I guess in a, in a sense, like, I don't know how long, I mean, what's the longest you've ever owned a pair of shoes, like one single pair of shoe before you retired it and stopped wearing it or you threw it out? The longest I've owned a pair of shoes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, probably like close to 10 years. 10 years? Yeah. What shoe was it? SP Dunks. Or, mm, I'm trying to think. You think, what, okay. Yeah. I don't think know. of like the average shoe. Yes. If you were to wear it, maybe like a couple times a week. How long do you think that shoe would okay, last? Maybe like two years. Yeah. At most. Right? Like, yeah. I would think that if I'm paying $800 for a shoe, it's going to be, it's going to last for, or not forever. That's not like realistic, Yeah. but it's going to stand up to the test of time. Probably look better after a certain amount of yeah, time. Yeah. Would, is it justified though? Is it justified for $800 considering the process, considering the materials, considering the craftsmanship? For me personally, no, because I'm the type of person that gets very like, bored of things easily mm. so i'm always mm. moving on um got it yep yeah <laughs> we're talking about shoes we're talking about shoes word um footwear clothes um but yeah i mean to somebody else can that justify the price i, I think so yeah I mean, of course like if you're putting you know countless hours of research whatever you know in order to design this one perfect pair of shoes that's obviously of amazing quality then yeah sure spend eight hundred dollars is it justified on the on the pro producers end or, or the seller for them to charge eight hundred is it yeah i think so um a lot of people don't realize is that you know when you're making like a lot of fashion brands like up upcharge by like 200 300 percent because like there's so much that goes into making one single product. Oh yeah. Um, it's not just like, oh, design, like sketch it on paper, boom, give it to them, and then boom, pops out a shoe. No. It's like there's, you know, a lot, there's like maybe 10, 20, 30 steps into making one single design um, an actual product. So a lot of people don't Yeah, there's just no fucking way. Like personally as like, as somebody that likes to see results in an instant, like sometimes I just get impatient waiting for my McDonald's order. Like I don't think that I could wait two to three to four weeks for a single pair of shoes yeah. to be manufactured. Or like, even like 
eight six to eight months a sample yeah at that you yeah. know what i mean like even that's annoying yeah. but uh yeah shout out to them that's that's a fucking process for sure i hope that doesn't turn into like i mean i'm sure like for us creating basic t-shirts and sweaters and like basic, cut and s- okay not basic um quality. premium yeah. quality base uh, <laughs> but i was gonna say basic premium quality <laughs> merchandise obviously like i said you pay for for what you get so with quality comes time and that's just something and that we're gonna have to money. come and oh money for Lots sure money. um okay so this is something that's sort of related to what we were talking about but the idea that's sort of samuel ross um, discusses of uh, streetwear being a class thing or used to be a class thing, being yes. a term that defined a separation between the high fashion people and uh, the street else. kids. Yeah, everyone else. Any, anybody that's trying to... and it, Well, do you think that the kids are always trying to enter the gate to become the high fashion? Do you think that that's where the money is? You know, the same way that you see mixtape kids try to get a deal? You know, or is that is that correlation the same? I think so. I think there's always, I think as a kid or just kids in general, they always want to, you know, have the best that they can get. Yeah. You know, um, no matter what. I think it's just natural for kids um, to feel that way. Uh, do I think every kid feels that way? Probably not. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think in terms of streetwear, I think it's, you know, that's kind of what the streetwear game is about. Like, you're coveting that one piece that you can't get. Mm-hmm. And I think that can almost be broadened into you wanting to be part of something that you nece- can't necessarily be a part of. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What about a, a brand owner? So yeah. we see a lot of Instagram brands. We see um, kids who just, you know, screen printing out of, out of the garage type brands, you know? Yeah. Are there aspirations... And we could speak for for ourselves, um, but are there aspirations to have their clothes in the Zoomies, in the Barneys, in the Targets? You know yeah. what I mean? Is that their their aspirations, both uh, when starting a brand and like after they realize that they can make a little bit of money off of it? I think that's just I don't know. I think that's up to the in- individual person. Um, I think. Of course, like people want to be successful. Yeah. Of course, people want to, you know, get paid to do what they love. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that's always the case for everybody. Uh, I think a lot of people do shit just because they enjoy doing shit. Mm-hmm. You know? They don't necessarily want a huge paycheck from it or expect a huge paycheck. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. It. So, I don't know. I think from what I've seen and like listening to interviews of people, and, and it comes from different perspectives, right? Like. Mike Sherman, the creative of, of Chinatown Market, he's, he loves to design, right? But when starting a clothing brand, his goal was to just be a business and make a lot of money, yeah. right? Like he's not trying to put out the craziest stuff. He's not trying to over overreach on his capacity of what he can do. He's just trying to make money with his brand, which is, it makes sense, right? You start a business, your goal is to make money. Yeah, which is fair. And you're going to make business moves that make you money. Yeah, so nothing wrong with that either. And a lot of flack of what he was getting was his clothes being in Urban Outfitters, being in Zoomies, um, being in like random shops, right? And to most people, if you have a coveted brand or even you you love a rapper that is has a niche, when they decide to sign a deal and be on these 
pop commercials and cereals and whatever, you're going to be like, it's a fucking sellout. Yeah. But, you know? but what differentiates that from, let's say, you know, a mom and pop restaurant opening up another location? That's opening true. Opening up, you know, different like four or five locations. Yeah. Know, same idea. Um, I mean, of course, like when you start a business, obviously the end goal is to make money. Of course. Um, totally whether agree. That's whether you want to make a lot of money or just make a lot of money or make enough money to support yourself so that you can continue doing what you want to do. No, totally agree. Yeah. And I, I, I at first when I looked at it, I, I was the skeptic when I would see, you know, brands that I loved being sold in stores that I didn't necessarily like so much. And I would always think like, why the fuck is Huff in Zoomies? Like they're a core skate brand. They should only be sold at these stores. But then it's almost me being selfish yeah you know it's like you don't want to see a brand you care about that you invest so much money into flourish you just want to see them remain the same yeah there's no growth there yeah because i think that you know that's just you or just people being possessive yeah wanting to have that sort of like exclusivity again Mm -hmm. uh, which is like a huge concept huge theme throughout streetwear you know you want to be exclusive you of course you don't want to see you know your average Joe walking around with the t-shirt that you have. But that's where it's built that on. That's what that's what it's built on, yeah. which which is kind of a shaky foundation. Yeah. With exclusivity being the reason why streetwear is a thing is because not only does it water down what is considered quote unquote exclusive, because everybody's releasing at this quantity rate for this amount of time, yeah. this one time only. Everyone has that concept now. So um that kind of tarnishes it on top of the fact that, you know, be, when streetwear becomes big, it makes it popular. Like just right off the bat, it makes it popular. Yeah. So we are in a, <laughs> we are in a weird way in this black hole of, of streetwear fashion. Like yeah. we contribute to a brand blowing up and then next thing you know, we can't get it. Yeah. So it's almost like, it's exclusive, what do you do? but it's not exclusive at the same time. Right, exactly. Which, uh, and things blow up a lot faster than normal. Yeah. And and to that, right, just to, to streetwear becoming what it is in, in a super weird way. And, and I had never followed this ever, but it seemed to be some, there's never any like, streetwear breaking news like that, that that just doesn't happen yeah it's just you sift through some articles and you eventually find something that's intriguing but um fairly recently the cfda that being the council of fashion designers of america super random um sounds like a fucking superhero team um the cfda recently had their annual awards where they uh celebrate fashion designers that could be men's menswear accessories uh, footwear etc yeah um the menswear designer is usually the biggest uh the biggest and most important award you typically how um the grammys the, the, the most important is like album of the year um for us it's uh hip-hop rap album of the year that's typically the most uh, important to us but in this year's Men's Designer of the Year Award, um, the winners were, or the winner was Supreme. No-brainer, right? Yeah. Super no-brainer. Um, so the person that accepted it, which I had never, I'd never actually seen his face before, nor hear, heard him ever talk, but James Jebbia yeah. accepted it. And, and this is the quote, this is what he said. He said, 
for his acceptance speech, which is super dry, he said, I've never considered Supreme to be a fashion company or myself a designer, but I appreciate your recognition of all we do. It's almost like one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't really care about this award, but, but yeah, thanks. I though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, I guess. Like, that's literally it's the, like, the, the emotions. It's like when your auntie gives you like a really ugly sweater for like Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I'll wear this and eventually. Then you, like, never wear it. Yeah, and exactly. You, like, it goes into a plastic bag to donate to Goodwill. But your mom tells you you have to write a thank you letter. Yeah, exactly. And it's like super half hearted. Just like, I don't want to write this. Yeah, exactly. Like, all right, that's fine. That's the equivalent. <laughs> In the past, winners of the similar um, similar award have been super notable names: Tom Ford, uh, Tom Brown, Ralph Simmons, like t- legends, right? Yeah. Um, Supreme or James Jebbia beat out um, Virgil, who was Virgil. in the nominees as well. Yeah. Virgil, who had a fucking crazy year. I feel like half of our episodes were dedicated to Virgil within the past six months. Yeah. Um, but my question is, and the reason why I guess this was considered a headline is because people feel as if Supreme was a cop out, like them winning men's fashion designer of the year is a cop out. Right. Typically, you hear people give that whole argument of all they ever do is rip old designs from 80s and 90s clothing companies like there's Instagram accounts dedicated to those. Yeah. You know what I mean? Supreme copies, Supreme leak cop, whatever. Um, but yeah, there, everybody's in an uproar or not everybody, but people in this industry are, are in a, in a weird uproar because they think that it was a cop out. I compared this to, um, uh, what was it? You said, uh, explain this. Cause you said Kendrick winning, winning a Pulitzer is kind of like those things of like, general pop culture accepting a little bit more of a niche culture yes you know what i mean or i'm trying to think of like another was it a movie because i made this comparison in a a past episode but i don't think it was a movie i think it was maybe kendrick winning the a grammy but then again it's all hip-hop anyway oh best album did he win best album no, I don't really follow the Grammys. God damn it. To be honest. Okay, but that, I mean. But that aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like, like the, I made this, this analogy earlier. It's when you're at a bar, super crowded bar, and you finally get, you know, you make eye contact with a bartender, and you know that you have to make some sort of impression to make sure that the next time you come to that bar, they're going to come to you within a matter of minutes, right? Yeah. So what you do is you leave that nice big tip that whatever, you you pay a lot more than you normally do just so you can leave that lasting impression. So I come back. So he comes back. So I come back, whatever. And I think that within the context of this Supreme winning the fashion designer of the year, I think it's a cop out. I know that they had the biggest one with Louis Vuitton. That was like super big. Yeah. But I think it's it's one of those things where it's like we're going to get people to buy. We're going to get streetwear to buy into high fashion a little bit more. So we're going to give them this award, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think a lot of people share that same sentiment. Um, because if you look at everybody else who was nominated, you have like Raph Simmons for mm-hmm. Calvin Klein. Uh, Crazy. Which was like a really big move. Yeah. Um, 
did really well. Uh, you have Tom Brown, which, you know, he's been killing it yeah. for the past few years. Just um, Virgil alone being Virgil, you know, for Off-White. Uh, who else is on there? Uh, Tom Ford, you know. Shit. With his own label. Big used, names. Used to be creative director of Gucci. Killers, know, huge, yeah. Like huge names. And here we have this skateboarding. Yeah, right? From... From New York, yeah. You know, that's who doesn't out, give a shit. Yeah, who doesn't care about any of this shit? Yeah, in the first place, and here they are winning, you know, menswear design <laughs> Like that's, designing that's what? Yeah, is my question. Yeah, that's, you know, that's so crazy. And I think, you know, obviously, like with any sort of like award ceremony show, whatever, like of course, the industry itself does kind of have a big part to play in who mm -hmm. wins and who loses. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, I do think that like Supreme winning, of course, like it's hard to deny the fact that Supreme is, is, you know, continued to be such an influential brand. Of course. Um, of course that's a given, but I think in some ways this is kind of like a ploy by the CFDA or just the fashion industry in general to, you know, have more people buy into this, like, oh, yep. streetwear is can be high fashion exactly high fashion can be streetwear exactly you know it's it's they're trying to do this thing where it's like they want to branch out to all the fans of supreme everyone who's you know a streetwear head mm -hmm. and sort of you know romance them and bring hey come on in like exactly come into, like join the club yeah you know? like in that supreme aspect. has so much like their crowd of people that that purchase have such a huge buying power yeah. that any percent of that by brands uh, that can capitalize off that is huge. Like the, the closest right now I would say is like a Balenciaga. Like they have that whole high fat, we're high fashion, but have that streetwear uh, appeal to yeah. a lot of people. You yeah. can see it because it's it's always coupled with Supreme, whether it's the triple S's or like the weird like side bags that they, that they have out. It's, it's almost ingraining into your head that there's no there is no more segregation between the two. Yeah. You'll just get you're just gonna have to pay a lot of money to be featured in, you know, this corral of people. Yeah. You know? And I think, you know, for a lot of people, I think that work in the industry or just, you know, executives in the industry, it's sort of like, hey, we're trying to be inclusive and, mm -hmm. you know, have you be a part of this. But at the same time, it's like, I kind of just want your money. Yeah, like, that's yeah. literally all it is. Because if if they really cared about uh, this award ceremony, they would have gave it to Virgil. If they really cared, because we're talking like strictly design, strictly following, you know, the sort of trajectory of what a designer does, the influence that they have. He did all that shit with Nike, which was over the top, crazy shit, right? Yeah. He would have won instantly, but if they would have had a separate awards that was just, you know, the congregation of fashion influencers, like who influenced fashion the most, yeah. it would be supreme because yeah. they have the biggest pull on what people wear. Um, and at the end of the day, dude, to be honest, 
it was Trump and Russia that you know they 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 Dude. they contributed some money and they got Supreme to win Fucking on. Out here yeah. <laughs> rigging it, man, rigging it. God damn, yeah. you would have thought. You know, if if Putin was really rigging it, then Gosha would have won <laughs> Fashion Designer of the Year. <laughs> Somehow he would have made it. Like, yeah, just like out of nowhere, he's like. Uh, how, how does it? I'm not even on the ballot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even uh, voted for. <laughs> Ooh, um, where are the emails at though, Hillary? For real. real yeah, real. shit. Man, God man. damn, that's I'm crazy. Have to have FBI looking at that. I'm gonna text my <laughs> FBI friend right now. Make hey, sure Mr. to yeah, double check. Yo, yo, go check on my Supreme Order while you're at it. <laughs> they just have. <laughs> yeah. God damn, the government's in our streetwear now. Oh shit, it's ruined. For it's real. ruined. Um, but I mean, yeah, man, I just, I just think in general, there's like, there's this weird thing going on. Um, obviously it, it's more about, uh, for, for financial, uh, strength of, of what high fashion can sort of capitalize on with, with us. I think that with, when it comes to buying power and influence, our generation millennials, um, we have the most of that. So I think it's a, it's a, for them, it's a great way to capitalize off that because now for a, an award ceremony that nobody gave a shit about yeah. is something that we're talking about. Exactly. And to be honest, like we this is the 18th year that's been around. I didn't know about the other 17. I don't know. Who, I don't care who won the yeah. past ones, but now it's something that we're talking about. So it's definitely a smart move on their behalf. But um, I want to see where this goes. I mean, Supreme is is on the up and up. We talk about it every episode. They're about to open up a store in San Francisco. They're a billion-dollar company. They're fucking... Moving and jiving and shucking all over the world, like they're doing crazy numbers. So why not? Why not be public enemy number one when it comes to all these high fashion places? Like, oh, let's do a collab. Oh, you know, let, yeah. let's have our store next to their store. Like, it's crazy what they can. It's crazy what skateboarding or that culture brought to ridiculous in fucking sane. Yeah. Um, fuck, man, it's been a long day. Yeah, it's been a long day. I think it's a good place to end. Um, thank you guys for for yeah, listening to beer, us man. this Fuck. week. Yeah, Jeez, it's been a long. It's, week, it's been man. a long. It's been a long yeah. time since we had a beer as well. Um, but yeah, big, big, big shout out to you guys for for fucking with us. Um, I hope you guys like the radio show. We try. I think it's better to put it out maybe like every other week. Yeah. So it's it, yo. I'm gonna give all credit credit due to anybody that is involved in music whether they create their own music produce master whatever that shit is difficult as fuck i'm not gonna lie that shit is is really really hard so um but we're gonna try um we obviously love music and we want you guys to we don't we don't want to just put some random ass playlist together everybody listens to playlists nowadays yeah. so Let's just do something Fuck different. You. I'm not following your Apple Music playlist. <laughs> oh just yeah, kidding. I might. If you have a good one, I might. Oh, I I know some good ones. Uh, shout out to the homies that 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 put me on. But um, just off that alone, we appreciate you guys listening to us, to us every week. Uh, make sure you listen to all of our past episodes. I know a lot of people do, which is really really yeah. crazy. Yeah. You guys really don't have a lot of time. You guys have a lot of time on your hands. Either that or your commute is long as fuck, yeah. so you can afford to listen to one yeah. or two a Jesus day. Jesus Christ, do something with your lives. Yeah, I mean... But also still listen to... I hope you're getting... Yeah, exactly. I hope you're getting some type of shit done while you're yeah. listening to the podcast. I know I do when I listen to podcasts. I'm super productive. Um, I usually listen to podcasts while I'm, like, on the shitter. <laughs> really? Yeah. Damn. 
Well, I guess that's that a good, works. That's a good way to. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's like you know? some of that places where you develop some of your your best ideas. You know, on the shitter. That's true. It's yeah. a it's a state of confinement where you have nowhere else to go. That's You're, true. So nothing else to do but think. Yeah. But other than that, shout out to you guys, and um, we'll catch you next week on episode forty three. So yeah. Episode forty four. Forty four. What did I say earlier? You said. Wait. This is episode forty four.